All right, First Kings chapter 2 uh, in our Bibles will tell us of Solomon ascending the throne. First Kings 2, we said last time that Solomon is known for his wisdom, but if you look at all of the, if you look at all of the text of scripture that talks about David, a whole two books of the Bible are about his reign. He has exercised a massive amount of wisdom himself. So, and because of David's wisdom, Solomon has a wealthy throne. David comes from being a shepherd and a warrior and has to earn, capture all of his wealth, save it all. Solomon inherits billions of dollars of wealth. He inherits all this kingdom that is peaceful and the kingdom that was promised to the Israelites, the dimensions of it is completely conquered by David and Solomon gets all these people that were conquered paying him money <laughs> and he ascends the throne as an 18 year old with all of the wealth, all the peace and that all came and in a kingdom that is not divided that you'll see in the old Testament leading up to David's death several times in David's reign, the Northern 10 tribes of Israel want to break off. Uh, he serves seven years at the beginning of his 40 years with only the tribe of Judah following him. Then he has 33 years of them, all of them following him, except for a couple times when they follow Absalom. And then right after Absalom in, in 2 Samuel 20, they follow another Benjamite, uh, Mephibosheth. We'll find out, thought he was going to get the kingdom back. Uh, if you read uh, after Absalom's um, debacle. So David and his wisdom has had to figure out how to keep this kingdom together <laughs> while fighting all these battles while his kids are killing each other and um and now uh, david david passes away here in first kings 2 so first kings 1 and 2 don't have any parallel in second chronicles but when we get to first kings 3 we'll start seeing i'll put these two passages side by side and see what we learn about the spiritual dimension this is mainly political today but i'll sh i'll show you from uh, first Kings to the spiritual dimension of, of the kingdom. So God uses the politics of uh, his people to highlight his wisdom and his plan. The king, obviously, in the Old Testament is a key piece of this kingdom that would be faithful to God. Throughout Israel's history, when the king is faithful to the Lord, the Lord makes sure his blessing is on them. David had constantly fought battles according to the Lord's will so that his faithful son, Solomon, could inherit a wealthy, peaceful kingdom and build a permanent place of worship for the world to come and worship their creator and their redeemer. So we have wisdom here, and you'll see the word established throughout this uh, chapter. So the wisdom of a firmly established kingdom. So David is still alive, and you can tell by what he says in 1 Kings 2, 1 to 9, that he still has his mental capacities he's not randomly spouting off things he doesn't have dementia or alzheimer's or anything like this he his physical body is done in chapter one and mentally he is still um capable in in chapter two 
right before he dies. So let's read verses one to four. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. If we stop there, there is a wise way of looking at death. And what wisdom does David impart to Solomon? I'm going to go the way of everyone else on earth. He doesn't sound like he's fearful of this. He's a man after God's own heart. He knows where he's going when he dies. He has talked about the son that uh, was born to him in Bathsheba in that adultery that David says, I'm going to go to this son. He can't come back here, but I'm going to go to him. So David knew where he was going when he dies. He sounds like that in talking here. And he says, okay, enough about me. Here's what you need to be doing, Solomon. Verse 2 continues, be strong. Show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your son pays close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. And God's intent in Second Samuel 7 was that uh, someone would be on the throne of David forever. And we know the Messiah was promised to come through David. So what is David saying here? There's wise direction here, wise commands here. Uh, there is a need for strong leadership to replace a godly man. Anytime there's a godly man in our church, in our homes, who's going, we're, we're asking ourselves when that godly man goes to die, who's going to take his place? Who's going to lead the family? Who's going to lead the church? Who's going to lead in a community? And uh, this is expected. And David is 70 years old. He's ready to pass. So the need for godly leadership is verses 1 and 2. And the leadership that uh, that David has, has shown has been remarkable to keep the kingdom together uh, throughout many different attacks. And the wisdom that he displayed is, is remarkable. He's passing this kingdom on to Solomon. And he says to Solomon in verse 2, show yourself. A man. Be strong like a man. And when a godly, strong man, think of David as a warrior, like the best Marine ever. <laughs> That's David. And he has Goliath. He's got a number of other um, feats in battle and, and godliness. He's got 75 Psalms ascribed to his name. Uh, that's the type of man that's passing off the scene here. And he tells Solomon, okay, show yourself to be a man. And David has definitely shown himself to be a godly man. The second thing we see in verse 3 is the need for godly leadership to follow a godly man. So verse 3 captures what um, a godly man looks like. What is a godly man doing in verse 3? Keeping the charge of the Lord your God. He doesn't say, keep the charge of the Lord, my God. Solomon is chosen because he is willing to follow God. Doesn't sound like Adonijah, Absalom, Amnon, the three 
older brothers that we know of that tried to take the kingdom by force or tried to manipulate uh, people in the kingdom. They weren't godly young men. Adonijah is going to show up here in, in a sec. Um, but Solomon is chosen because he has chosen to follow the Lord. And whatever the Lord says, he's going to do. In the New Testament, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. What's characteristic of God's people, Old Testament and New Testament is whenever God speaks to them through his word, they listen, they obey. As opposed to the world, which we saw Sunday from Romans 5, they blame and blaspheme God. Whenever God speaks, they scoff. They don't listen. They're willingly ignorant of God and his word and his ways. That's how Adonijah is. That's not how Solomon is. And so Solomon ascends the throne um, because of his dis decision to follow the Lord. And David's going to encourage him here with, keep the charge of the Lord your God. How do you do that, Solomon? He's going to tell him, verse 3, walking in his ways. Uh, learn to walk in the ways of God as you walk with the Lord your God. And you're going to keep his statutes. So whenever God shows you his ways, he tells you his word, then you're willing to obey it, keeping his statutes. You're also going to keep his commandments and his rules and his testimonies. You're so focused on what God says and your um, ability to uh, do what God says. And he says, as it's written in the law of Moses. So the kings in Deuteronomy, uh, as Moses goes off the scene in Deuteronomy, he says, when you have a king, that king is supposed to write by himself. He's supposed to write the law that's written in the first five books of the of, of the Bible. And so I'm assuming Saul, David has Solomon do this. Solomon has written down... Um, faithfully uh the law of god he knows the law of moses and so it's not about knowing it's about here obeying so you've got the law you got the law of moses it's been written you likely have written it if he's a faithful um king and then he gives him reasons for doing this reasons for obeying walking in god's ways and keeping his statutes that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Why? Because he's got God's law um, in his heart and before his eyes. And whenever God's word shows him what you're doing here is not wise, it's foolish, Solomon. Solomon's going to listen to God against himself even. So the need here is for godly leadership like David uh, to follow a godly or uh, um, Solomon, godly leadership to follow a godly man. And for the most part, David has shown Solomon how to live this way. Now, verse four, <clears throat> some more reasons that the Lord may establish okay, his word. The rest of this chapter is going to be about establishing a kingdom. But here, Solomon's relationship to God is you walk with God and then you expect God to establish his word that he spoke concerning me. So he's going to remind him of the Davidic covenant of second, um, second Samuel chapter seven, where David's going to have someone sitting on the throne. And he says, if, if your sons uh, paid close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart, with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. And the key word there in verse four, faithfulness. 
See the word faithfulness? So if you were to summarize what God expects of his godly people throughout the ages, it's required of stewards that a man be found faithful. It's required of husbands that they be found faithful. It's required of children that they stay faithful to the Lord. And when you and I look back at life and who encourages your heart the most, I had a dying man one time say, thank you for staying faithful to the Lord. He was a godly man. And that was a compliment from him and an encouragement. Like, okay, I've seen your life and ministry. I've seen faithfulness. I want you to stay faithful too. And so there's a way here of this dying man, David, is has shown his 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 son faithfulness. He's seeing Solomon potential to be faithful. And he's pointing out here that part of the Davidic covenant is not just for David, it's for his sons. And if the sons will walk before God in faithfulness. Um with all their heart and with all their soul from within, then you're not going to lack a man on the throne of Israel uh, forever. Uh, so that's verse four, the need for generational leadership to teach godly men. There's implied here that David's passing this on to Solomon, who's going to pass it on to his sons and his sons. So the Davidic covenant is not going to end with David and Solomon, that uh, God says to David, if your sons paid close attention. So the generations of, of the kings that are going to follow David, if they will all walk before me, then with their heart and with their soul and faithfulness, then they're going to have a godly kingdom. And who's going to establish this kingdom? It's God. God is the one who establishes his word, who gives his word. And you see the establishment of his word, and the Lord is establishing his word. Uh, so the need to trust God to establish a long, godly kingdom. So how do we apply this, these four verses today? And I'm okay with spending a little more time here because the rest is the story. Um, the local church, God's people for today, need all four of these directions. So if we think back through verses one and two, the need for strong leadership to replace a godly man. In our church, we have elders. And so our elders aren't the only, I mean, the pastor, myself, assistant pastor, we're not the only leaders here. Um, but if God moves me on, um, either by uh, timing or by age, I'm going to say, okay, uh, my time here is is limited. I am not going to be the pastor here forever. Uh, that and so, what needs to happen is strong leadership needs to replace godly men who are going to be strong leaders who are going to be replaced by other strong godly leaders. So, um, godly leadership needs to know when to pass on to the next leader. David makes Solomon king before he dies, uh, because he knew there's a challenge to the throne, and if I wait. Till I die for Solomon. It's going to be a fight between Solomon and Adonijah. And that doesn't need to happen. So he makes him king in chapter one. And then obviously he becomes the sole ruler in chapter two when David, when David dies. So for the local church, uh, we have all of God's word 
to instruct us. We don't just have the law of Moses that Solomon had. We have the New Testament that tells us what are the expectations for godly leaders. What does godly leadership look like? And we've just gone through the book of Titus. So, and the, the theme of Titus is a healthy church following godly leaders. And so we just saw that uh, for us and a lot of parallels there between David's um, verses one to four and the book of Titus. How to pass on, how, how to have a plan to pass on leadership, and then trusting Christ to build his church. Um, I am not necessary here to build this church. Um, no godly, one godly leader is necessary to build a godly church, because Christ said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. David wasn't necessary for the kingdom to last forever, because he's passing off the scene. He's 70 years old. He ruled for 40 years. He did what he could to stay faithful, mm -hmm. to keep the nation of Israel together and faithful to the Lord. But he's limited by age and by death. <laughs> and so um, it's God's plan for us humans as godly <clears throat> leadership, as strong as we can be. Uh, but we are trusting Christ to build his church and then God to be glorified and God to build his church. So that's yeah. verses yeah. one to four. Um, we're going to speed up in verses uh, 5 to 46, all right? <laughs> so the wise directions David gives uh, for being a godly leader, we slowed down in verses 1 to 4. Now we're going to pick up speed here in verses 5 to 9. Moreover, verse 5, you also know what Joab, the son of Zariah, did to me and their cousins, David and Joab, are cousins, uh, how Joab did to me and how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner, the son of Ner, and uh, Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed, avenging in time of peace for blood that had been shed in war and putting the blood of war on the belt around his waist and on the sandals of his feet. So he's guilty of murder is what David is saying for Joab. Verse six, act therefore according to your wisdom, but do not let his grade a gray head go down to Sheol in peace. So don't let him die a peaceful death because he's a murderer. Verse seven, but deal loyally with the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let um, them be among those who eat at your table for um, with such loyalty they met me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. And there is also with you, so Joab's a scoundrel, uh, the sons of Barzillai are good. And then verse 8 and 9, there's another scoundrel living among you. And his name is Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite from Bahurim. Very precise name. We got we got story a couple stories about him. Who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day when I went to Mahanaim. And when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore. So when David's fleeing from Absalom... This guy comes and curses David, and Joab's brother wants to kill him. And David says, no, the Lord may have put this curse in his, his, mouth. his mouth. David flees whenever uh, Absalom is destroyed. David's on his way back to Jerusalem, and uh, this guy, Shimei, comes with his tail between his legs and apologizes. Oh, yeah, uh, I'm sorry for cursing you. Uh <laughs> uh, and then tries to, to fake, a, fake a repentance. And he deserves to die. And again, the same guy, Abishai, Joab's brother, wants to kill him again. And David says, no, we'll let the Lord take care of him. While David doesn't um, doesn't forget 
that this guy is a traitor uh, to the throne. And so he says, um, David told him, I will not put you to death with the sword. But verse nine says, now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless. So he is guilty of treason for you are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do to him and you shall bring his gray head down with blood to shield. So treat him like a traitor uh, because he is. So what do we what do we see here? The need for wise justice. So for being a political leader, uh, it's it's one thing for David to give instructions for Solomon to be a godly leader, to rule the nation so that they're faithful to God. It's another thing for David to to point out three people that are a threat or need compassion. And two of those, a military leader, Joab, he has he's guilty of shedding innocent blood. So justice needs something that needs to happen to Joab. Okay. And because likely Joab has spared David's life multiple times in battle and was his right hand, his mightiest man, he didn't, he doesn't kill him. Um, but he has done these two things that are worthy of death. And what he doesn't mention is that he followed Adonijah. So we'll see when Joab is put to death that he thinks he's going to be put to death because he follows Adonijah, but that's not the reason for his death. The reason for his death is mentioned here. It's also mentioned at the time of his death. Solomon says, because he killed these two innocent commanders in a time of peace, that's why he's going to die. He And he deserves to die. So it's not, oh, well, you followed my, you follow, followed Adonijah, my brother. And so you're, no, that's not the reason he's put to death. He's put to death because he's a murderer. So the need for wise justice and Abner's story of uh, Joab killing Abner is 2 Samuel 3, 27. And then, uh, and that's as David comes and, and joins the kingdom together 33 years ago. And then uh, Amasa is after um, after Absalom's story. So in more recent history, uh, Joab kills Amasa in 2 Samuel 20, verse 10. So the need for wise justice for, and David mentions, you will have wisdom. You do have wisdom to know how to handle these two um, these two men. You also need to have compassion on someone who has been very faithful to me, loyal to me, even though I think uh, the the second two, the Gileadite, that's this, the the area of Benjamin. So there are some faithful to David people, even from the tribe of Benjamin. And Barzilla is one of them. Obviously, Shemiah is not one of them. All right. So the need for wise justice for Joab, the need for wise compassion, for kindness, for Barzillai. That's also 2 Samuel 19. And the need for wise justice for treason. Um of this guy named Shimei, who cursed um, cursed David. Second Samuel 16 is when he's cursing him. Second Samuel 19, when he tries to apologize, and David says what he says to Solomon here. So uh, to, to be a political leader, to be a king that's unrivaled, is to deal with the traitors, the murderers, and to deal with kindness, as David showed how to deal with kindness. Remember Mephibosheth? Uh, Saul's son, and he treated him with kindness, let him eat at his table for all of his days. All right, so what happens after God gives Solomon direction, wisdom from David? Then David sleeps with his fathers and was buried. This is the normal way of kings, um, how they're talked about in the Old Testament, sleeping with their fathers. 
was buried in the city of David. And the time of David reigned over Israel was 40 years. It divides this 40 years by seven years in Hebron, just over Judah, and then 33 years in Jerusalem over all the, all the 12 tribes. And so Solomon sits on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom is firmly uh, established. We're not going to have time to read the rest of the story, but Adonijah comes. This is uh, the son who tried to take the kingdom by force right before David dies. He comes to Bathsheba. He is not smart. Okay, this guy is a fool. <laughs> he comes to Solomon's mom and says, hey, can I have David's last concubine? <clears throat> if anyone would have known what should have happened whenever you take the concubines, it would have been Bathsheba. She's not a fool. She goes and says, okay, I'll go tell Solomon that you're still a rival to the throne. <laughs> you're an idiot, Adam. So she goes and tells, she goes and tells uh solomon that adonijah wants abishag who was mentioned in chapter one and if you take if you take part of the higher uh the harem uh the ladies of the previous king you you're setting yourself up this is what um absalom does with ahithophel's advice he takes 10 of the concubines of david makes himself king by taking some of the harem and so this was a challenge to the throne and so, and so Bathsheba's like, okay, I'll go ask him this, uh, but you're, you're, you're doomed <laughs> is what she's likely thinking. Cause she knows how it works. The politics of, of the, of the kingdom, cause she's in, involved in that as well herself. So he, uh, wisely eliminates, so we're just going to read a key verse in each of these passages. He's going to wisely eliminate a foolish rival to the crown. Adonijah puts the nail in his own coffin and look at verse 24. Well, verse 23, King Solomon swore by the Lord saying, God do so to me and more also if his, this word does not cost Adonijah his life. Now, therefore, as the Lord lives, verse 24, who has established me and placed me on the throne of David, my father, and who has made me his house as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So they kill him. You can't have a rival to the throne, um, someone who is still wanting to be king after this. And so verses 13 to 25 are about he's wisely eliminating a foolish rival to the crown. Then he needs to remove a foolish priest. There's only two verses about Abiathar. Um, and he is a foolish priest. And it says here about Abiathar, look at verse 27 that the word of the Lord was fulfilled that was spoken concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. So Eli is the ruling as Samuel comes and Samuel lives a long life. And so about a hundred years or so, almost 150 years ago is when God says to Eli, you're not going to have someone to of your lineage to, to be priest. But obviously Abiathar is one of those lineage of Eli and Aaron and when Abiathar is kicked out of the priesthood um, he's he fulfills that prophecy that prophecies in first Samuel 2. Then we have um, eliminating uh, Joab. Uh, we're just going to read the key verses of 32 and 33. So Joab thinks he is going to die because Adonijah was killed 
and he followed Adonijah, but it's not so. He's killed because he, of his own um, murderous uh, killing two men. So verse 32, the Lord will bring back on his um, bloody deeds on his own head, because without the knowledge of my father David, he attacked and killed with the sword two men more righteous and better than himself, Abner the son of Ner, the commander of the army of Israel, and uh, Amasa the son of Jether, commander of the army of Judah. So shall their blood come back on the head of Joab and on the head of his descendants forever for but for David and for his descendants. So there's a separation here between Joab and David and Joab and Solomon now. And for his descendants, which of Solomon is one, and for his house and for his throne, there shall be peace from the Lord forevermore. And then Benaiah puts Joab to death. And so eliminating a powerful but blood guilty man is how a wise king um, acts. And then the final thing is the traitor. He tests the traitor, though. He gives um, Shimei and says, okay, you have been treasonous to David, so here's what I'm going to do for you. And this is showing Solomon's wisdom as an 18-year-old. He says, okay, you have been unfaithful to my dad, and he told me to watch out for you, so here's the test. You're going to have to live in Jerusalem. You're not allowed to go outside Jerusalem. He says, don't cross the Kidron Valley, which is right next to the city. If you go outside of the city, you're a dead man. And Shimei is like, okay. So he's, he builds a house in, in Jerusalem, but it's not long. I think it's three years that um, he fails the test. Verse 39, it happened at the end of three years that two of Shimei's slaves run away to Achish, which is in the near, near the Philistines. And it's told to Shimei, instead of him sending someone to go get them back, he goes himself. He knows that he's breaking the rule that he agreed with showing that he's not really listening, not really faithful to uh, Solomon. And Solomon finds out he leaves and he says, okay, you brought this on yourself. So the key verses here, verses um, 44 and 45. The king also says to Shimei, you know, in your own heart, all the harm that you did to my father, David. So the Lord will bring back on your harm on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed. So again, a separation of I'm carrying out justice. Um, you did this to yourself. And the kingdom um, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. Then the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada. He went out, struck him down, and he died. So the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. So the wise results of this is that God's um, king is established. He's an obedient king over his people. You'll see the word established in verses 12, 24, 45, and 46. And God brings about peace and blessing for faithfulness um, to God as, the, as Solomon and hopefully his kingdom. The people follow faithfully uh, to their God from their hearts. So applying this for us today. If we are faithful to hear and obey God's clear word, we can expect that he will be pleased with our lives. And what are we living for? To hear a well done, a good and faithful slave. As Christ followers, we can expect to enjoy Christ. As Christ's kingdom isn't limited by a king who gets old and dies, and his son gets old and dies, and his son gets old and dies. As Christ followers, we can expect to enjoy Christ, and Christ is his 
royal name. Christ is going to have a perfectly established kingdom, and that kingdom is going to last for all time. And we want that kingdom to come and be established.